So a couple of things. One, if you are kind of tuning in and you're new to South Point, um, our messages are all online, www.wearesouthpoint.com. You can go on there and you can follow along if you're trying to catch up. We're kind of walking through a series that we call The Greatest Sermon. Uh, it's not because I'm preaching it. We literally just took the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon, and we said we are going to spend a long time just walking through that. Now within that, we're going to change things up a little bit this week as well. Um, because one, we've been encouraging everyone, hey, worship together as a family, worship together at home. However, what we didn't think through, more I didn't think through, is, hey, what happens when we hit something where you go, hey, this one's a little more PG-13? Um, and that's what the next message was going to be, and I typically overstep bounds um, often, and so this is going to take us a few weeks ahead in the future. Uh, so now we have quarantine and time travel. Uh, so we are going to skip ahead a couple of weeks. Uh, we'll come back to those messages a little bit later. We just didn't want to have to say, hey, send your children out somewhere else when you've had to say that all week long. And so this week, we're going to take a look at this idea of oaths. Um, I want you to imagine for a minute, like you go to a model home, uh, or maybe you've done some upgrades at your house, and here's what I want you to think about. Sometimes there's things that you want, but they may just be a little bit out of your price range, and so we can substitute things, right? Like if you go into a house, you can say, you know what, I, I can't spring for the 100-year-old refurnished hardwood floors that are real, but I can get faux wood, and it looks just the same. Um, and so you put those down, and a number of us have that in our house. I think I have three different colors in mine. Uh, you can go and say, man, I can't really spring for the real granite countertop, but they can make something that looks exactly like it. In fact, in the house uh, Whitney and I had in Fort Worth, we had a fireplace. I think we bought the house because Whitney just really loved the fireplace, um, which you really need a fireplace in Texas. I think we used it twice um, in its entirety. But the reason we loved it so much, it had this massive wood plank um, for a mantle, and it had another one down below where you could sit on it. And like the two times that we lit the fire, we would sit there. But it looked great. It wasn't real wood. Um, pretty quickly, I was like, that's, that's like plastic or something. Which, speaking of, if you can't grow plants, get plastic ones. They never die. Like the idea is you can go into something that is beautiful, like a home, and you can really pretty it up to make it look like something else. And a lot of the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of the teaching that Jesus does deals with the religious system of that day. And the religious system was clean up the outside, but we know inside people are hurting. Like, people are starving, people are, are dying, people have pain. And you can pretty up your outside, but inside, it can still be really rough. And Jesus came to address the heart more than he came to address the outside. And so a lot of times we pretty things up, and sometimes we try and pretty up the truth. But really what we're doing is we're just prettying up a lie. And that's what Jesus is going to address today. And it's one of these sections of Scripture that sometimes you read it, and you read it really quickly and go, one, I don't understand that, or two, I just don't feel like it applies to me. And so this morning, we're going to look at a couple of verses, and we're going to look at them in a few different ways to see that, hey, ultimately what Jesus is getting at is truth is important. As believers, for us that are in Christ, truth is supreme. And we've got to remember that, and we've got to champion that. And so this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 33. And you can follow along with your own Bible if you want. We're going to have it on the screen as well. But in continuing to teach, Jesus says this. Again, you have heard it said uh, to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for, what you, uh, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Now, when we read that, that is one of those sections where we kind of go, 
does that really apply right now? Like, we're not really an oath-taking society. That's not something that a lot of people do in common practice, but it, it does still happen. And so I want to kind of explain this a little bit. We've got to, we've got to understand the context of oath-taking, and we've got to understand the context of oath-taking really in Jesus' day, and then we're going to see how that translates over to today as well. And so there's a couple of ways that we can look at this and we can view this passage of Scripture. The first one's this. We take it at face value. We take it at face value and we say, look, Jesus said, do not take an oath, and therefore we go, that is exactly what I believe. And there are a number of religious groups, uh, Mennonites, Quakers, a lot of more fundamental groups. I'm not trying to get into any type of argument on that this morning. But there are a number of groups that read this and say, I'm going to take it at complete complete face value. And that's why even in like a court setting or something like that, they, they won't take an oath. They won't swear by anything. Again, also for context, when I say swearing, we're talking about oaths, not bad words. So that don't, if your kids are wondering if I'm talking about that, no. Um, but here's a problem. Throughout scripture, we see oath taking happening. Uh, and we see it from God. We see it from Jesus. We see it from a number of people. Uh, we see it from God in Genesis 9 when he swears an oath that he will never flood the earth again. We see it in Isaiah 49 when he says, I'm going to preserve and I'm going to bless Israel. Uh, we see it in Psalm 16 where he says, uh, he takes an oath and says, I'm going to raise my son from the dead. Uh, Jesus, who just said, do not take an oath, it would be really weird if we take that at complete face value. Jesus would be disobeying his own command because in Matthew 26, uh, when Jesus is on trial, he takes an oath that what he is saying is true, even though everyone around him is lying. Paul, throughout the New Testament, swears by God that what he's saying is true in Galatians, Romans, and on and on. And so if we take that at just face value, we run into a problem. So what is he really saying here? Um, the other way of viewing it is he says, don't abuse an oath to cover a lie. That's really what Jesus is talking about here. Don't, abuse, don't take an oath and try and attach it to something that you're saying that you know is not true, and in doing so, abuse it. Um, because there are a couple types of oaths that can be taken. One are involuntary. Um, an involuntary oath would be one like if you go to court, if you were called as a witness, um, you go to a trial and you know, they bring out the Bible, you place your hand on it, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Uh, that's an involuntary oath. Um, another one, since this is Abilene, I know we've got a number of military people. If you're tuning in outside uh, from a military standpoint, you took an oath to defend the Constitution um, or a public office. Every four years, we all gather together and we watch in front of Congress as millions of people are watching. Our president stands before the country and the globe and he takes an oath to defend the Constitution to the best of their ability. Um, those are involuntary oaths. The idea behind it is we're trying to communicate to that person there is a consequence if you lie. If you lie under this oath, it's perjury, and there's consequence for that. It could be jail time, it could be lots of other things, loss of office, all of those. That's what an involuntary oath is. A voluntary oath is an oath that's taken to make something more believable and probably cover up a lie. Um, and in Jesus' day, this was extremely, extremely rampant. Um, in Jesus' day, there were two ways of, of swearing or taking an oath. The first one was this. Uh, it was frivolous swearing. Uh, frivolous swearing is taking an oath uh, when it's neither necessary or proper. And so this would be a person going, hey, I'm, uh, what I'm, I want you to believe what I'm saying so much so that I'm going to add something to it even though I don't really need to. And so I'm going I'm to swear by my mother's grave. I'm going to swear by grandpa's Bible. I'm going to swear by my own life. And what you're doing is you're really taking something that's meant to be sacred and you're just making it common. It would kind of be like this. Uh, a couple years ago, 
If you're bored, I would highly recommend it. I read a book called The Residence. Um, it's a book about stories of people who work in the White House. And when I say work in the White House, I don't mean people for a particular administration. Um, there are a number of jobs in the White House, butlers, cooks, maids, all of that type of thing, security. Um, those jobs don't change whenever a new president comes in. Uh, what's interesting is they're such highly coveted jobs. There was one guy that was interviewed. He could tell stories from the Obama administration when the book was written and the Eisenhower administration. And man, you talk about a world that had changed. But these people, these are the people that are in the White House. They see all of this stuff that if you go and take a tour, um, you're amazed by it. And yet, imagine vacuuming and looking up and going, well, there's the portrait of George Washington. Um, you're vacuuming and you look down, it's like, oh, this is the Oval Office. There's the Resolute Desk. A frivolous swearing would be like one of those people going, hey, I swear by the president's desk. I, I swear by the president's pen. I swear by the president's portrait. It would lessen how they view the president. You're taking an artifact. You're taking something that's common, and you're trying to up it to, you know, I mean, imagine the, the, the gravity of the office of the president of the United States. Those things aren't on par. Like, yes, that's a really cool pen, but that pin is not the president. And this frivolous swearing would just be trying to take something that's common or something that's sacred, and you're really just making it common. The second one is a little bit worse. There's frivolous swearing. There's also known what's known as evasive swearing. Evasive swearing is you swear by God's name, uh, or you're afraid to swear by God's name, so you swear by something else because you know you're lying. This is the idea where, look, I know what I'm about to say is untrue, but I really need you to believe it. I also know if I swear by God's name, I'm, I'm already out of, out of place. I don't want to bring that on myself. And so I'm going to swear by something else, but what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to compare that something else to the name of God. And what you're doing there is that's just idolatry, right? Like any, comparing anything to God and trying to elevate it to who he is, that's just idolatry. But this happened a lot in Jesus' day. And so within that context, kind of knowing a little bit of how these people would take an oath or what it was really trying to imply, let's read that one more time and then look at it. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So, understanding some context. According to Jesus, don't swear by a few things. Uh, one, just don't swear. Uh, but by, according to him, one, don't swear by heaven. That's the first one he, he attaches. He says, uh, don't swear by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Why? It's his throne. You and I have no control over heaven. We don't have any control over its activities. And heaven is in no way obligated to us. Like, we don't swear by it because it's his. It belongs to God. We don't get to claim that as our own. It's his throne room is how Jesus puts it. Like, you don't walk into someone else's house, no matter how much you might want to, and change their stuff. Now, some of you might, but I would highly recommend don't do that. It's not yours, uh, even if you really want to. Several years ago, I had an internship where I lived with this family. And if, if this is you, if you're watching this today, and if that family happens to watch, this is confession time. Um, but they had a very strange approach to photography is how I would put it. In their guest bathroom, the bathroom that I was kind of attached to my room, they had a bunch of wedding photos. And they had them put in their bathroom. 
and I'm not getting really crude or anything, but it's really, really weird to be in the bathroom and have a couple, like, old-school picture looking at you. Um, everything in me wanted to take those pictures down. Like, just say, hey, for the time being, while I'm here, I'm going to rearrange your house. But the thing is, it wasn't my house, so I didn't do that. When it comes to heaven, we don't swear by heaven because it's not ours. Like, we'll be a part of it one day if we're in Christ for all eternity, uh, but we don't swear by heaven because it's his throne. Jesus says, hey, you don't swear by earth. Um, guess what? The earth is still his. Like, it's his creation. Yes, we're a part of it. We're on it, but it's his. The earth will not change because you simply swear by its name. So this week, like a lot of people, you know, we're looking for things to do in our family and some outside projects, and so I'm kind of in charge of PE, which means get them out of the house. And uh, I also got to use my degree. I have a degree in agricultural leadership education and development. Turns out you don't use that that often when you're a pastor. Um, but I got to use it this week because I took my son and said, hey, we're going to plant a garden. Here's a chance for me to teach you a little bit about it. And so we used it as some teaching lessons, a little bit of horticulture time. Um, but in the reality... If I looked at him and said, I swear this stuff is going to grow, that isn't going to make it grow any more than me not saying that. It's not going to make it rain when I want it to rain. It's not going to change the soil type, which, look, we're in Abilene, Texas, and some of that stuff ain't going to grow because it's just not going to happen. Now, if I looked at him and said, I swear to you this is going to grow, that would be a lie. I would be trying to cover up something. So we see how this starts to kind of translate into our own lives today. Yeah, we may not be an overly oath-taking society, but when we look at a situation and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to say something to try and drive my own point home when my own point isn't completely true or I can't completely back it up, this is what Jesus is getting at. I can swear that that stuff's going to grow all day, but that doesn't change a thing. Then he says, don't swear by Jerusalem. Now, that's one you may be out there or in here a little bit and go, okay, I got that. I have never in my life, not once, have I said, I swear by Jerusalem this is going to happen. Um, this was kind of a technicality. And Jesus' crowd, he's, he's speaking to a, probably a fairly large number of people on this hillside. When they heard this, that meant something very different for them. Because when they heard it, they started to think back to little things that they had heard from some of the rabbis. Because this was kind of legal jargon in Jesus' day. When he says, don't swear by Jerusalem, what had happened was, in the day, rabbis had said, okay, if you swear by Jerusalem, it means one thing. If you swear toward Jerusalem, I, I swear toward Jerusalem, it means something else. To swear by Jerusalem meant you weren't completely confident in what you were saying, but you still wanted to have a little bit of credibility. To say, I swear towards Jerusalem was a way of saying that what I, I, I really, really believe this. I'm like 99% sure. But what it really became was just legal jargon. Like this was a way for someone to come back later on and go, well, did you say by or towards? I don't remember. Okay, we throw the case out. Did you say by or towards? I said by. Oh, well, it doesn't mean as much. Like this literally became legal jargon, that legal fine print that we never read, that we just click agree on today was something that the, the teachers in Jesus' day, you know, they stretched everything. They took laws and, and bent and stretched them. And again, this was about prettying up the outside. Even taking something as sacred as Jerusalem, Jesus says, hey, that's the city of the great king. Uh, they would take simple words and attach it to Jerusalem and have a way to fib on something. Um, again, this is just legal fine print. Um, and sometimes when you read the fine print, you find really, really crazy stuff. Um, this week in kind of looking at that, I was like, yeah, 
I don't ever read some of that stuff. I wonder what some of it says. Now, I didn't read all of it, but turns out in Amazon's terms of agreement, you agree that you're going to abide by their rules unless a zombie apocalypse happens, and I'm not making that up. Section 5710, now they don't call it zombie, they give it a little more legal jargon, but basically infected peoples that are trying to hurt others and bring about the world's end. Um, so you've got from A to Z zombie going on there. Um, and Apple iTunes, there's a thing that says that you, you agree that you will not use Apple iTunes to produce nuclear weapons. You know, if you're bored right now and thinking, what can my hobby be? I'll build a bomb. Uh, you can't have an iTunes playlist of, uh, you know, you know, Siri, play my, my blow up the world song list. Uh, you can't do that. That's legal fine print that's out there, and no one ever cares about that. But in Jesus' day, they took something as sacred as Jerusalem, and they tried to add all these little bits and pieces into it, and in doing so, they're saying, hey, it's okay to lie. Just cover it up well. So he also says, don't swear by your own head. He says, which of you, uh, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Basically, if you can't change the color of your hair, how are you going to change your own destiny by swearing by it? And the reality is, for some of us, I saw this this week on social media, uh, a lot of people about to know what color hair you have um, because we can't go out and get it cut. For me, I have no worries whatsoever. Um, but some of y'all, we're about to find out that is not your natural hair color because you can't change it on your own. Like, you can't just speak that into existence. I want to be blonde. I want to have long, flowing hair for myself. It doesn't happen. So if I can't do that, by what means can I swear by myself and think that it adds anything great to the, to, the, uh, to the equation here? And so Jesus says all these things. He says, hey, don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by earth. Don't swear by Jerusalem. Don't swear by your own head. What's the big picture here? The big picture is, hey, he's talking about truth. He's not saying you can have a little bit of truth here and a little bit of truth here, but maybe add a little bit of a lie here, a little bit of a lie here. He, you can't compartmentalize that. In fact, as I was reading this week, I read a statement from a guy named James Boyce. He's a commentator, theologian, pastor that I really enjoy, and I thought his words were a lot better than mine, so I'd like to quote him. To sum all of this up, the sum of all things here, he says, in other words, life simply cannot be divided into neat little compartments, some of which are exempt from God's presence and some of which are not. God is everywhere. He is in every compartment of life. Hence, the truth is as important in one situation and at one time as another. This is really what Jesus is getting at. You can't have a little bit of truth here and a little bit of truth here. You can't push truth away because you don't want it in this compartment of your life and really try and enforce it with that thing that you really hold on to. It's got to be everywhere. It's got to be definitive. Like, I have a, a way of putting things, like, I'll tell friends and staff and family at times, I'm like, hey, don't speak in definitives if you can't. Uh, there's times where we say something, and we say it with all gusto and all authority, but it's not always exactly right because it's more opinion-based. Um, this is an area where, when it comes to truth, we speak in definitive. That's why, as we kind of look at the end of this, in verse 37, Jesus says this, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. See, the gospel only speaks in truth. What we hold to dearly, the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus Christ, it only speaks in truth. As believers, we put truth on such a pedestal 
It doesn't need an oath. There's nothing that I can add to the truth of the gospel that's not already there. Like, there's nothing that I can sprinkle on and go, there's the cherry. The cherry is already there. The gospel is truth. The truth that Jesus Christ came to this earth to free mankind from sin. The truth that every one of us are born into the world with a sinful nature. We don't have to teach that. Like, a lot of you are learning that this week. I make the joke, hey, if you're in church, go to our nursery. We don't have to teach kids sin. They just learn it. We got parents all over the place right now that you're looking at your kids going, I didn't teach you that. Maybe your mom did, but I didn't do that. But you're looking at them like, we don't have to be taught that we're sinful. We are sinful by nature. There's truth in that, but there's a greater truth. That Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,000 years ago. He lived a sinless life. He laid his life down so that you and I could have forgiveness. The gospel only speaks in truth. So we don't have to add anything to it. So we put truth on such a pedestal that it doesn't need anything else. And our desire to be truthful in all situations, it leads to a simple yes or a simple no. It's yes. When we say we're going to do something, we do it. Now, man, this is the worst time to preach this message because I'm about to step on all kinds of toes because we have said, especially as guys, if you're in a relationship and you're the husband, I know for me it's been this way, a lot of time of, hey, I'll do that when I have time. Well, we have time, world. Uh, We have time now. So a lot of us are finding that, man, I've said I was going to do something and now I am called upon to do it, and we need to. Like when we say we're going to do something, as believers, we need to champion, we need to be at the forefront of saying, hey, my yes means something because my yes is attached to a truth that is attached to the gospel. Like we need to mean that. And so when we say we're going to do something, whether that be chores or honeydew things, we mean it. And so we follow through on that. We put action to truth. And so we do that when something like honeydews, when we say yes to praying for someone. Like right now, there is an unbelievable amount of prayer need in the world. Every one of us are being affected, like literally. This is something, you talk about something that has brought generations together. I don't care if you're from Boomer to Z to whatever we make up in nine months from now because there's going to be a lot of them. Like every one of us are walking through something for the first time together. So we're all kind of in a social experiment. We're all learning. I don't even know at times if it's good to say this is the right way to do it. We don't know the right way to do it because it's never been done before. But man, this has brought a lot of people together and it's brought together a lot of need for prayer. We know people that are affected by the current virus. We know people that are shut-ins. We know people that are hurting. We know people that are struggling to make ends meet. We've got people within our own church, with our own families and bodies, where they're wondering, hey, I, I, I lost my job over this already. Like, what do I do? Like, there's an unbelievable need for prayer. And when we say, hey, I'm praying for you, I know at times we throw that out there flippantly. We need to think about when he says, yes. When we say, yes, I'm going to pray for you, I mean it. Like, I'm going to step out in that moment right then, and I'm going to get the opportunity to go before the God of all creation and bring that to him. God, I've got friends that are hurting right now. Like, prayer, sometimes we think prayer is the last thing. Prayer is not the last thing. Prayer is the first thing. Prayer is the greatest thing that we can do right now. Like, pray for people. And when you say you're going to do it, let your yes be yes. When it comes to something like giving, we say, hey, I want, to, I want to support and I want to financially give of my time and I want to serve and things like that. When we say yes to that, we mean it. And so when it comes to something like service, like right now it's a little bit different. Uh, I kind of walked around this morning for a little bit and it's, it's, it's weird. I walked down by our nursery and I don't hear laughter and I don't hear crying. Um, and that's strange on Sunday morning. And at the same time, I know we've got great volunteers. I've read some of their stories this week. 
And they miss that already. They love that, hey, on Sunday morning, like once a month or twice a month, I come in and I get to love on these kids. I get to minister to them. And that's kind of been taken out. But when we get back together, and we will, hopefully soon, man, when we say that we want to be a people that serve, we need to be a people that serve. Like even right now, this is possible because people are serving. You got to see some of them this morning, some of the behind the scenes folks. You need to say thank you for those. And if you aren't serving as we get back together as a church, and if you're watching this wherever you are within your own church, serve. When we say that, yes, we believe the gospel, the gospel serves, the gospel gives. Um, This is one of the reasons when we talk about church membership, we stress all of these things. Hey, to be a member at South Point, like membership is really, really important for us. It's not something we take flippantly. Um, There's a process. There's a class. We're we're looking at doing an online class. So if you're still interested in joining South Point Church, put that on a connect card. Let us know. We may be doing it by Zoom later next month. Um, But this is one of the reasons we stress this. Like we believe that when we say yes, it means something because it's attached to truth and it's attached to the gospel. At the same time, it's okay to say no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. No is not always the wrong answer. Sometimes we feel that way, but it's not. And so when it comes to something sinful, we would say no to that and then we stick to that. It's not that I say no now, maybe later. It's no and that continues on. My no is no when it comes to something sinful. Um, In ministry, now I know I just talked about serving. At times, even in something as good as ministry, and look, this is, this is of the more dangerous things a pastor can ever say, and now it's live on Facebook for the entire world to see, so it's okay to say no in ministry. Um, again, <laughs> danger, but it is. Sometimes you've got a lot going on, and sometimes we ask a lot of people, and I am of the more guilty persons on that, and sometimes it's okay to say no because I need to spend more time with my family. I need to work on this in my own life And if I say yes to this, this is going to move from something low to medium to high to sinful. And so in ministry even, it's okay to say no. What that also means, a lot of other people need to say yes. A lot of times they say in the church world, 10% of people do 90% of the work. I don't think that's quite true at South Point, um, but there's a lot of people that do a lot, which means other people need to step up at times and say yes so that someone else can say no. And let their no be no, and let their yes be yes. Right now is a perfectly good time to say no when it comes to parenting. Like you got lots of kids in your house. You got lots of things being asked. When it comes to something as crazy as parenting, no can be a very good answer. And then you stick to it. Like if there's a situation where you go, you know what? I know that it would be irresponsible or it could even be dangerous if I said yes to my kid. And it may hurt their feelings. It may make them not as popular as someone else, but I feel that the God-honoring decision is to say no, say no, and you stick to it. You stick to it knowing that, hey, I'm looking towards a greater truth. And so, as we close, a couple of things this morning. One, I would encourage you to know truth. I love John 14, 6. I probably say it every other weekend. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's truth. Knowing that truth is life-changing. Knowing that truth is not just a moral thing. Knowing that truth takes someone from something that is spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Knowing that truth takes a heart of stone and gives a heart of flesh. Knowing that truth makes a person into a new creation. 
And so if you're watching this today and you don't know what that truth is, that truth is that Jesus Christ can be your Lord and Savior. That Jesus Christ can take you from something that's spiritually dead and can forgive you and make you alive. To know that truth is just simply saying, I acknowledge that I'm a sinful person. I want to turn away from that. I want to make Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. I want to follow him. Knowing that truth is the truth. And so if you're watching today and you've never done that, I'd invite you right now, you can be sitting at your home in your pajamas. We don't care. It'd just be simply saying, God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinful person, but I want to turn away from that. I want to follow your son, Jesus Christ, and make him Lord of my life. And in that instant, that's life change. That's knowing truth. I would encourage us to live the truth. Right now, I know we're social distancing some, but we're also, we've got to move around a little bit. Be gracious as you do that. Live truth. Do something nice for someone else this week. Not out of just simple kindness, but out of knowing that God has been gracious to us, therefore we need to be gracious to others. Live the truth. And then hold fast to the truth. Like hold on to it tight right now. The best thing I could leave you with is a couple more words of Christ. In John chapter 8, in verse 31, Jesus says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Hold fast. Let truth be our battle cry. Let's pray. God, we love you. I'm thankful for the truth. God, I'm thankful for the truth of your word as we look at it every single week. And God, I pray that you would use this time to grow that in us. That we would see this as a time where we can spend more time in the truth, in your word, growing, learning, (laughs) falling more in love with you. God, I pray that you would use this time to make your name known across the nations. God, we do all of this for your glory. And God, if there is someone today that's They just don't know what that truth is. I pray that you would be all over them, God, that you would convict and you would move. You would teach them. God, we love you. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.